Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. My friends, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan for another week. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And if you are watching the video feed, you can already see him. But we are once again joined by a fantastic guest, good friend of the show, Mr. Brian Crossland. Hey, thanks. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Doing good. Glad to be back. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, yeah, I think we uh, we're gonna have a fun little show. We uh, of episode one hundred and two, um, and um, yeah, we hope, uh, dear listener, that you enjoyed our discussion of Jane Austen films, film adaptations of Jane Austen. I should probably preface, you know, say it like that. Or at least uh, the last- ten of you who listened to that enjoyed it. Thanks. Yep. True fans. Um, indeed. <laughs> um, for sure. There, that's truly is down to the diehards there. We, well, we, we, it was we weird. The one show that my father has like reposted and and posted about this show, like to on his social media, not like my dad, but my dad has a certain group of friends and stuff like that, you know, like our parents do. Mm-hmm. For only show my dad has ever like re, you know, shared or you know, shared to his group was our Jane Austen show from last week. It's a fan, like it's a point. was a fantastic show. It was super fun to do them, and I'm it was very super proud fun. Of it. Uh, yeah, we again thank Dana so much for joining us. It was super great to have her on. Yeah. Um, as it is uh, super great to have Brian on. Um, Brian, of course, was on for a Star Wars discussion. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, it feels like thirty years ago, but um, it was you know just maybe within the year. It yeah, was in, it, in yeah. the COVID era. It, it was in this pandemical time that we have. Um, So, uh, but yeah, but this week, um, so this week we have, I, I, I love, I love uh, this uh, subject that, that Ryan um, shot out to uh, shout out to me. Um, Quickly pulled out of a hat when our actual, we had another, we did have another show, but then we, which is still coming. That show will still happen. Yeah, we tease. Um, we can say what it is because we teased it a couple of weeks back because Rob told us we should tease more. And that, you know, yes. do you see why we don't rob? She's <laughs> Rob. Because now, jinx we, it, Rob. now we seem like liars. No, we have a um, we have a show. Nothing coming up ever where good gonna... has come of anyone trying to do what Rob thinks is best. I'll just say that officially. <laughs> um. Anyway, we out there. Yeah, we were going to do uh, Ozploitation films or Australian exploitation films oh, um, right. with a couple of really special guests, It's one of whom is yeah. is hip deep in those films himself, so we're really looking forward to that. But yep. our good buddy Michael, who a lot of listeners know, got a gig starring in a movie, so he's busy doing that, and he wasn't able to mm-hmm. join us. And he was like, you know, like a true movie star, he's like, Go, go on without me 
you know, and we were like, nah, we'll, I think we'll, no, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. I mean, uh, our, our other special guest is thanks to our good friend, Michael. So we really would like to have them both on to all of us, about. all of us together um, talking about that. But the side effect of that is we got Brian here who we've been trying to do a show with for a while because he, we have a lot of fun together. And I, this, I think this is, yeah. I, I haven't seen all these either. Right? So don't feel bad. That, like there's a couple you haven't seen. Yeah. This I, is just the, we just picked this era because I think it represents a, a, you know, well, we'll talk about it, but it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, we're going to, I'm, I'm calling, I'm calling we're not all show. experts on every one of these and these won't be deep dyes or anything. No. Just, and like, you know, and like we have said many times on this show, we, we tend to focus this show. We sort of had a, have a cutoff of, you know, of the time that Ryan and I have been alive, you know, we don't, we don't delve back into, you know, the thirties, forties, fifties, you know, we, we, re- we rarely will bring up those, um, those movies. It's not as, that there aren't awesome ones or even no, ones that we love back then. It, it's more that our, it, this is about sort of our lifetime as movie fans mm-hmm. and uh, right around the time we were born, just before really 69 ish, um, there really was a paradigm shift in filmmaking for the, for the most part. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And then all the other shifts that have happened along the way, we, we've been a part of in our lives. So I, I feel like we speak more with authority on those types of movies. And yeah. this is a, a show about an era and it's a kind of a show about the movie business. Um, so it'll make for a fun switch to discuss that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So what we what we're going to be talking about today, I, I'm kind of calling this when um, uh, when Disney was a bummer, because um, because there, there was a time when Disney didn't own everything. In fact, there was a time when Disney was kind of struggling and had to fend off. Uh, fend this off. was that time. This this yeah, is the by, epitome you know, of their struggle. In fact, it was the time post Walt Disney. You know, Walt Disney dying. Roy Disney uh, taking over and, you know, and, and continuing and, and much of the focus for, for Disney was, was their animated films and their, uh, their, their theme parks. Yeah. The, what, the two, what would the two, Walt do era? Yeah, what Disney. would Walt do? Yeah. And, um, and then after yeah. Roy Disney, um, Walt Dis is it Walt Disney's son-in-law? Was it what it, it was Ron? Um, Ron Miller is that Ron Miller? Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. I think he was he was a son-in-law. I'm trying to think. I think he was Walt's son-in-law. They handed the reins over to Ron Miller, former football player Ron Miller. Yeah. And um and and Ron wanted to take a little bit of a different direction. Um, he oh, he did. That, yeah, and he certainly <laughs> did. Yeah. So so you know much to much to the chagrin of of other of other executives in Disney, Ron really thought that Disney should be in the business uh, of making more adult oriented film. You know, not adult films like like they're uh, not adult films, no, but but more more you know, sophisticated, darker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, taking the reins that. off the family only uh, subject matter, even though I, really every one of these is a family film to one degree or another by mm-hmm. any way that we judge it. Um, well, yeah, the fact that the fact that a, there was, you know, when like if somebody uh, uh, like it was Ron, maybe even, but like went to a reporting, it was like, imagine a PG Disney film. Yeah. And that was like a seismic 
like what a huge huge shift especially with you know the, the films that you guys the list you sent me like one of them is the first pg film that disney ever did the very right? first right. that's, the very that's first. where the list starts i got a question for you guys yeah. to show you a little bit of the predicament that they were in you, you may be able to do this better than i did i had i had to research to answer this question but other than anything on our list, there's I think there's only one, maybe two things that qualify. What is your favorite '70s Disney movie? Um, well, for for me, and I just I I've I've talked about this. Uh, Black Hole. I mean, it's on our list. Black Hole. I said that's not on our list. Okay, so. then mine it's would be gotta be not. So thanks for be, spoiling the list and not listening to my question. Well, whatever. No, I. Uh, but you you know if we're talking about favorite. Um, that's not on the list. Uh, mine would be Condor Man. Oh, but that that's semi from the same era too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I count it as part of this era, Condor Man. It, it um, is. I, that's why it kind of doesn't count. The point is, it's really hard to pick a seventies favorite seventies Disney movie because they had almost no hit movies in the seventies. Yeah, that's a, that's my struggle. Is I'm looking at like from my the favorite. 60, my favorite, if you want to know, is The Rescuers seventy seven. Oh sure, yeah. Which oh, to me was the last great. Disney movie of the era before they just changed their whole business mm-hmm. model. Yeah. Um, I, I love, I mean, the uh, Disney's Robin hood, I think is, is late, uh, uh, late seventies. Would that, you know, would that is it? qualify? I think let me... if it's in the seventies of any kind, it will qualify. It doesn't have to okay. be late. All right, I well, thought me... the rescuers was eighties, but if that's seventies, then yeah, that would, like, I love as, that film. Same year as star Wars and the spy who loved me. Wow. Yeah, uh, look, uh, just give me a second here while it's loading. Yeah, it was 73. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, and The Rescuers so then, yeah, has, a, be... has an outstanding reputation, but it wasn't that big a hit at the time because it was it was viewed as somehow antiquated compared to the shift that had been happening post-Jaws in films. Mm-hmm. Right. So this really, I, these group of movies starting with black hole like Joel said it it's it's an answer to what was happening in the industry it's an attempted answer to it um but there're struggles that go along with it cuz even though they wanted to make pg movies and I, I remember what they said about one of these movies i should save this for when we're talking about it but they're like Somebody, some idiot at Disney said, this could be our exorcist, is what they said. <laughs> I know. I know in some yes. meeting. And, yeah, well, and if they do, but Disney never, even throughout all this, didn't have the balls to make a version of the exorcist and never would. And would didn't even really want that from them. So not even Ron Miller wanted to go that far. I no. mean, he wanted to tame things down. He wanted to go into that PG realm. But he didn't want to go like into the close to the R-rated realm, or right. oh my gosh, this is so terrible! Like kids are running out of the theater. Right, type and you that. had these multi generations of Disney executives and artists who just dramatically resisted any the idea of doing anything dark. Not so much the philosophy of it as yeah. each individual thing was met with such resistance throughout this entire era that you ended up with these films that were, we'll use the term schizophrenic because even the best of them are, yes. are at odds with themselves in really, really key ways. So, uh, all right, well, let's, let's jump into it since I already spoiled the first film we're going to be talking about. Spoiled um, it. 
Well, okay. it, that, it's a very that film, film probably is the shingle for the episode. So yeah, I, they, I mean, you yeah. probably didn't spoil it's, it. It's I mean, it is. It's that big of a deal to me. I still have my black <laughs> wow. <Bear> box. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it, yeah, and so we're that's the movie. Yeah, Black Hole, nineteen seventy nine. Um, you know, fresh off the you know Star Wars proving that sci fi isn't box office. You know, it isn't. Uh, you know, that sci-fi has a place in the movies. We got um, the black hole. I black love hole with something like 14 different credited screenwriters. <laughs> I'm probably yeah. exaggerating a little bit, but <laughs> black yeah, hole. Yeah. A couple, a couple screenwriters, f- several story by, <laughs> I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, it was, it started out as a short, you know, as a short story. And then it, you know, yeah, it came across, uh, it went through many iterations before, they finally uh, settled it, on. It was something they had kicking around before this idea. So, like a lot of the sci-fi films of 1979, Alien, and there's a bunch of them. Uh, the Star oh, Trek, the motion picture, um, they all got greenlit and budgeted big right as Star Wars was hitting. It was like, what do we have in the can that we can just start work on immediately yep. to take and- advantage of this new trend? And to have mm-hmm. the next Star Wars, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, and, and it, all those films were greenlit really for that reason. This one, most of all. But what they had was this weird, um, uh, sort of forbidden planet slash twenty thousand leagues under the sea hybrid script with this just unbelievably strange and philosophical and ethereal ending <laughs> attached to it. And, mm-hmm. and what they, what some of these writers will never know who was responsible for what and this was really, really long, <laughs> but some of these writers were like, Oh, it, this, it has a talking robot. Let's add a sidekick robot and let's have the robots be like the star Wars robots. And yep. let's make them, as preachy and annoying as possible and let, let's just, and that'll be funny. Like there's this, Oh, and be sure that one of them is played by an English person because that the British Butler robot in star Wars was so mm. popular. You know, there's yeah. just, there's all these, uh, just, there's all this stuff in it that you can just tell is let's steal this from this and add it to this. And what you ended up with was a really tonally strange film that certainly has some of that darkness in it. I don't think we can, anyone can argue with that. Um, there's a couple of rather grisly deaths that our heroes suffer. And there's just a, Oh yeah. There's a whole idea of, of this whole idea of like robot, slavery and and madness at the edge of space that does come across even if it's a bit melodramatic in the film but but it what it has the most of what it has that sucks because i don't mind that like they don't take oxygen or behavior in a vacuum seriously like i don't for me i'm into science and everything and i like movies that show us all that legitimately as they can but I'm like, don't let that get in the way of a good story. You know, one of the coolest visuals in the whole movie is this giant flaming meteorite like crashes into this ship. Oh, yeah. And then it's 
this ship is the dumbest ship ever. It's all built with these massive high-ceilinged waiting rooms and mm -hmm. huge atriums, which to keep filled with oxygen for only yeah. one guy who breathes. Yeah, but look at it. It's also the yeah, coolest all, like, spaceship it's all ever. It's so cool, but it's, yeah. But it's yeah, just stupid. Yeah. It makes no sense <laughs> as an actual spaceship. And but watching that rights. flaming meteor rolling oh, at yeah. you down this huge corridor... Um, and watching our heroes sort of just narrowly escape it while they're crossing it, it, it it's it's awesome. It's huge, and it, it sort of sparks the imagination. So from a design standpoint, even though that ship is dumb, it's super dumb. It, it It's beautiful. It has this weird Art Deco sort of design scheme to it, and it's this yeah. wonderful, like, the idea of what people in the fifties thought a big spaceship would be. And it has that sort of magic to it. And, and I, I've talked enough. Anyone want to, yeah. I mean, no, well, no, I mean, I, it's, I mean, I love it. I mean, I, uh, I mean, it's got a great cast. I mean, uh, Maximilian shell, uh, you know, essentially. Yeah. You know, but does doing... it, when was Maximilian shell ever good at anything? Once he got fat, Never. Well, I and you know, in, he's in terms a, of the he's a scenery chewing, crazy love boat guest star over actor is all he was at this point in his career. And I say that I read a review actually, and it said, "Oh, featuring Ernest Borgnine, Anthony Hopkins, Yvette Mimieux, and Robert mm -hmm. Forrester, all at differing awkward uh, awkward phases in their careers." Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins. Anthony, Sorry, Anthony, not Hopkins. Yeah. Perkins. Anthony, yeah, and, yeah, That's Anthony, important. Anthony per and Anthony, you know, you talked about some of the grisly deaths. Um, no, you know, none more Perkins, grisly than Anthony no, Perkins. None more, yeah, boy. Uh, except it wasn't totally, right? Going back, I watched that film again. Well, they uh, don't show movie. anything, but... There's no blood. No, There's no but blood. That, Very Disney. No. no blood. But that's... <laughs> That's irrelevant. We talk about it on the show. It's not what, what you saw. It's what happened. And what oh, yeah. happened is grisly and horrible. Yeah. Yes, and very, I was very like, rarely do you ever see the slow death right, just no. where it's impending and everyone is just, uh, right. you know, yeah. But a guy gets ripped from. apart in his torso by motorized propellers is uh, grisly. And one of the great, and I love, I mean, in terms of like scary robots, Oh yeah, you know, or villainous robots. I mean, uh, Maximilian, right there. I mean, that stuck with me he's from being so a kid. Forward spectacular. For a while. Yeah. The, the yeah the does the 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 creature design or the robot design in this, I thought you know, uh, it, it, on on the ship on the Cygnus was great. Maximilian, I think the other Maximilian's uh, pretty special. I can't argue with that. The yeah. century robots who the people in those suits can't even walk in them. They're less impressive. They may look cool on a lunchbox, but in the movie, they're they're the you least mean, threatening space robots like, I think I've ever seen. Like Captain Star, Star standing for Special Troops Arms Regiment. He's the coolest oh, one. God. Note that he stands still the entire his entire yeah, appearance that, in the movie. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, and then uh, and of course Slim Pickens, uh, uh, uncredited Slim Pickens as Bob. Is he uncredited? Yeah. No, he's it, yeah, he's credited now. Like they they put him, but originally he was not. His voice was not credited in the. Uh, no, his ads. name doesn't show up in the opening credits, but he's credited at the end of the movie and always was. I'm quite sure. Uh, well, okay, then then the information here is wrong. You mean something on the internet? This is rare. Let's mark this down. Something on the internet might have been incorrect. Really? <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, he he uh, he's a 
he's a big enough star compared to these other people, and the role is big enough mm-hmm. that yep. his name maybe should appear at the beginning, which it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, old Biosanitation Battalion LF28. Good old Bob. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a, there's a lot of cheese spread throughout the film. There's no that, doubt about it. And nothing's it, right? cheesier than uh, Slim Pickens. And but yeah. it should tell you something that as a film, even as a sci-fi film, we're still talking about this, what, almost 40-some years later? Yeah. And it's it was, a sci-fi film that came out in 1979 when we were very impressionable. It came out in this era of the fantastic films, and all these films we're going to talk about, they all slide even as awkward as they might be when we look at them as a group of disney mm-hmm. films they all slide in quite comfortably alongside the other fantasy and, and adventure sci-fi adventure films yep. of their era no question yeah uh, black got, hole isn't we got um, three hard hitters in that year in 79 right you got star trek you've got alien and yep. you had road warrior like three different views mm-hmm. of the world. Slim the Pickens and Roddy McDowell were both uncredited by design, Joel, in that film. So you really? weren't wrong. Okay. But, that but makes... your take on it was kind of incorrect. They did it in the same way. They wanted children to believe they were robots. They didn't want yeah. the people to be out there doing talk shows and stuff. So right. it's it's more that than like there was any shame involved or his agent had him not credited. Yeah. Um, and then Roddy McDowell, of course, the voice of Vincent. Vital information necessary centralized. <laughs> I just I love it. There's so there's such forced acronyms. I love it. Whenever you come up with the name oh. first and the acronym later, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna show up with a pretty awkward acronym. Nevertheless, uh, I don't know. I I yeah. I almost hate Vincent. Like I uh, I don't think yeah. there's been a a character that's supposed to be lovable in a movie that I wanted to punch in the face more than Vincent. Almost everything out of his mouth is a quote from some other more famous person or some annoying, preachy, condescending thing. And it mm-hmm. it's like, man, you I get what you're going for, but you just went too far. There needs to be some underlying personality in here. Vincent yeah. is perfect he starts the movie by saving the day he outduels the rob the supposed to be scary robot who isn't scary at all ultimately mm-hmm. it's he's the he's definitely a thing that's grafted over a different story along with a bunch of cliches that the characters stay mm-hmm. and, and that goes with you know having so many different screenwriters working on that project you know some of them are coming in going oh hey man i really love 2001 Let's yeah. do some of that. And another one's like, Star Wars is awesome. Let's do some of that. Slim Pickens, <laughs> by comparison, at least feels like it's uh, there's this kind of soul inhabiting the robots. I, I, yeah, I hated Vincent when I was a kid, yeah. and I didn't know why. And as I grew up, I'm like, oh, I know why. Because he's a dick yeah. all the time. That's all this guy <laughs> is. Yeah, he's, his acts are heroic, admittedly. But he's... Yeah, this like I you you would be out in the middle in a tiny tin can with this guy and like four other people. Mm-hmm. You'd go insane. He's such a jerk. Just like shut up, dude. Yeah, yeah. Shut down your voice processor. Um, Even Joseph it, Bottoms, when he's like trying to have a sense of humor about Vince, he's like, "Man, what were you put here to torture me or whatever?" And he's like, "No, <laughs> to educate you." <laughs> what a oh, what a dickhead so of good. a robot he is! Surprised um, he didn't get ejected out the airlock. Well, right? he can't even play along with the joke. You know, yeah. it's like, come on, 
Vincent. Um, Whatever. It makes it, this this makes sense. I'm I'm just uh, glancing over here. I mean, the the movie was originally the idea was originally brought to Disney uh, by the two guys who wrote Poseidon Adventure and Towering Inferno. So this was going to be a disaster movie in space which it is which is pretty it it really is yeah it it hits a lot of it ticks a lot of those boxes and then and then you know it was it's gonna be space station one then it was changed to space probe one we almost had a movie with probe in it i would have liked that very much that would have been good (laughs) um yeah and then it eventually came around and was like the black hole uh with many many yeah, there's many, many writers here that has that that had their <laughs> yep, that, and that, behind every one it. of those writers, there's a there's an army of Disney suits saying, "What if we did this? Mm-hmm. What if we did that?" And what they really meant was, "Put that in there, or we'll get another writer." Yeah, yep. and the film is packed to the gills with that. That said, it's it just John Barry's musical score, so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. his victory march is kind of lame, but that's not really his mo. His his sense of sweeping drama and mystery is wonderful. The the miniature of the Cygnus, the giant spaceship that they discover, is one of the greatest film miniatures of all mm-hmm. time. It's it's not even a miniature; it would fill up my living room, but it's still obviously not a full size spaceship. Um, but it's a huge detailed miniature with this, all these individual lights and things on it. It it really is magical. Um, less, little less so on the inside, but even on the inside, it's got a lot of neat ideas and things that are very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, Maximilian Schell, I just kind of, uh, took a turd on him, but he's hilarious in it. I mean, he's really fun. As as ridiculous as he is, he's really, really fun in the film. He's he's bonkers. He's he's twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Uh-huh. Be way beyond James Mason yeah. in twenty thousand leagues. He's he's just off his rocker crazy, and you know it from the get go. He's like he's more like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Sure, because yeah. yeah, it, it you know right away. Well, this guy's up to no good. <laughs> I mean, you mm-hmm. know immediately, and then and then he only gets more bizarre and weirder as it goes on. His his. The fact that they named the robot in the movie after the actor or that they named the robot and then hired an actor with the same first name, (laughs) whatever the coincidence that's going on there is really, really weird. Because to hear Maximilian Schell call this thing Maximilian like a dozen or so times in the film is a really odd Yeah, It just adds to the crazy somehow. He even has this wonderful moment where... Uh, I, I I can't remember. I, it's, I believe it's after Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins is great in it too. For again, for a guy who's sort of out of favor in Hollywood, he he, he recognized this sort of petty kiss ass like thing and just decided that's it. That's the guy and went with went at it that way with this sort of single mindedness and everything that comes out of his mouth is. And here's to your accomplishments, sir. You know, this is the the yep. only guy in the whole theater or yep. the ship who doesn't realize this dude is crazy and just kisses his ass the entire time. So he's the least likely person to be murdered by him. But the reason the robot Maximilian kills him is because that robot is a jealous, psychotic ex-girlfriend, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, and doesn't crazy. like the idea that this new sidekick has come along who is going to say without fault everything his his boss wants to hear so his yeah. first chance to murder him he does and then maximilian pulls yvette Mimu aside and he goes 
protect me from Maximilian. And you're just like, <laughs> all right, all yep. hope for a, some sort of reasonable ending is clearly lost here. Nope. Especially when the two of them merge together. Like, I want to wear your skin. Like, <laughs> Well, oh, yeah, we'll get to that is. in a second. That, yeah, that, that whole is. sequence not just that, but the whole bit, the whole the last whole 10 thing. minutes. Yeah. Really. The last 10 minutes is a bonkers. It is absolutely out of, you know, so the black hole. Um, People you know, rip the, on it, but I actually think that the finale of the film is the best thing about the film because it's the one moment where they're like, all right, let's do it. Like they just yeah. did it. Cause well, you, they're, they're like, we got it. We, you know, there, there's no, there's no way that you can, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know how you tie it. You know, like you—you you you don't do need to. Nice you have a giant plane. space station exploding in space. You've got your heroes getting sucked through a black hole. All you got to do to have a happy Disney ending is have the heroes just appear in space at the other side of it. Yep, come with out like the... some beautiful Saturn-like planet, and it's like, well, we don't know where we are, but we made it. Instead, yeah. I believe they all die and go to heaven, judging on the long like shiny hallway they go through with angels flying in and out of yeah, it. Yeah, the religious overtone of like here's here's this angel that comes through but here's Maximilian and his robot and they merge and they go to what is clearly a depiction of Dante's of Inferno. Yeah, clearly right? in hell. hell. Yep. <laughs> and then the here are our heroes like you and said, it's, come out it's the an other side. Epic ah. pull out uh like foreground miniature shot with all these extras marching and mm-hmm. it's it the, the actual shot of hell after they've been after we pulled out from them standing alone on the mountaintop like Satan. Yeah. It it, it takes your breath away. Like it's a really amazing it's romantic it's image, art like yeah. depiction of the afterlife in the most negative, grueling, icky way. It's it blows my mind. Everybody but let's not mistaken what those things mean. I mean Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's as simple as it gets, mm-hmm. but they all bit it, the bullet. Everybody died. Vincent, everyone. They're all gone. Now, well, yeah, because even... Happy you know, Disney movie, kids. I mean, you talk about being dark. It, it It's dark. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's, it's... When it's, I was a kid, I didn't... I knew it was dark. I felt it, but I didn't know what I was looking at. I really didn't understand what the movie... Because I just hadn't seen any, enough movies to prepare me for that ending, to, for me to even interpret what that was as a, a seven-year-old or whatever I was. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, in a lot of the, uh, in a lot of the, any of the merchandise or any like the storybooks that came out afterwards, all it does is just depict that the crew of the Palomino, you know, that they made it. That they made, they came out the other side of the black hole. Boom! Everything good. Um, yeah, and that, that's you know, Disney for you, right? Everybody. You know, well, yeah. I mean, there's literally. But the movie doesn't do that. The movie definitely implies they're dead. Yeah, there was literally question. one of those little golden books. They did a little golden book of, of the, black the black hole. hole. I had that. Yep. A space a spaceship adventure for robots is what they called that. That was great. Um. For robots who used to be people and are mm, now yeah, a zombified yeah. slave race to a madman. Right. Um, still having a human quality enough to bury well, their own at, we, dead at space. Oh, that was, yeah, that was. We that say was all the time before we move on from Black Hole, we, we, what is it? What happened? You know, you're talking about how Perkins' death is relatively bloodless, but what happened? What happened is what happened. And when you say it out oh, loud, yeah. you, you, sh- 
you should be a clever enough person to, well, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago with birds of prey, you know, what, what do they mm-hmm. show? Okay. But what happened? What really happened in these scenes? If you ask yourself that and you say it out loud, you're like, Jesus, this is grisly, you know, it's, that's awful. You yeah, need to be able to do that as a, right. I think as an effective movie watcher, you got to watch it and go, what was that? Not so much. What did they show or, Oh, that's not so bad. Or, Oh, we didn't really know that guy, you know, just, really stop with the hedging and go, what did I just watch? What was that meant to communicate to me and try and take the full brunt of that in a couple places in black hole. I don't think as a criticism, I think to its credit, it, 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 it get it does get dark. Like they said it would, even though they, even though the Gary Nelson's filmmaking itself is, is sort of always walking that line of, as keeping it a family film. Yep. But yep. it's a PG film. I don't think it's PG thirteen even. The first from Disney. Yeah. This yep. was their. This was their. Uh, what do you call it? And a lot to voyage. recommend it. It it's it yeah. is it's streaming online in its, it's all its uh, widescreen glory. You, and you it, can watch it. Yeah, you can watch it in most most streaming places. But it's available for free on Disney Plus. Um, yeah, it, and I mean, and in you know, in 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 typical Disney fashion, I mean, there there are plans to do a remake or a re, you know, a remake of the Black Hole. Uh, it was put on hold once again because Disney executives said the script is too dark for a Disney film. <laughs> Not uh, the last time we will hear that phrase when talking about no, this to film. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, all right, so let's move but on. This is one of the darkest, truly. When you really, really do is. ask yeah, yourself have, yeah. honestly, "What did I just watch?" It it really is, even yeah, though it's got constant wisecracking robots and it's got all this fun, like merchandising decisions at play heavily in it. It mm-hmm. still is. It's something of whatever that first dark, you know, madness at the edge of the universe film that they wrote survived to the end process i i think it's incredible that disney left that ending in i you know i really do think it's amazing because it's not needed and yet yet it's it's amazing yeah um speaking of you know what it can also drive you you know it can also the edge of madness bring you to the edge of madness is an all-night scavenger hunt you bet (laughs) And that brings us to our second film that we're going to be talking about. Uh, the uh, fantastic 1980 classic hijinks film, Midnight Madness. Oh, God, I love this film. Um, I do, too. Uh, the, 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 both the scavenger hunt films that came out around this time are both really, really fun. And Midnight Madness is super fun. It's It's aimed, I think it's trying to be aimed at teenagers, but... And it's been a long time since I've seen Midnight Madness because the teenagers are the heroes of it. Mm-hmm. But but it 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 also is a film that like is kind of trying to be both things at the same time rather awkwardly throughout. Because it's not a teen movie of its era at all, which we're all rather crass and, you know, whatever. And yet yeah. and yet it 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 does have lots of sort of questionable zany hijinks related things in it it's, yeah yeah it's all over the place uh if, if you <laughs> if you're not familiar with midnight madness uh it is um uh, uh the fantastic story of uh some college kids uh with with a, a, essentially a giant a, a college graduate student 
um, summoning uh, his, you know, some five other sort of prototypical, like, you know, your, 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 your jock, your, your nerd, your, yeah, the you know, breakfast nerd, club, essentially. Yeah. The breakfast club yeah. of college students. Who are also um, all cheap stereotypes. You yep, masses to, to say, I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, he is the Leon, uh, this grad student is the game master <laughs> and he has created the ultimate scavenger hunt. I can't even remember what they're playing for. What are they playing? What for? What are the stakes? Uh, I don't remember either. Like, like they must not the be that the- important. Well, it's a it's bragging rights. Is like it really just it's bragging. a contest? It's bragging. It's for one of them as one of the captains to be able to say their team of people is better than the others. It's it's based on That's a it. real life thing that was being done at the time in wherever Southern California. That that would that actually tracks. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not even seeing. Boy, I'm not. Seeing I don't think anything. it. I don't think it's an accurate. It, representation of what that thing was i'm just saying that it that this was inspired by something that was actually happening in the culture Mm -hmm. at the time yeah uh let's see it was video um, games were in their infancy you know you you look at what you had to pass the time and what you had to stimulate your mind dungeons and dragons was just appearing like it this sort of idea of this all-night event or you know this puzzle it it was it fits in that era in a way that it they we still do things like this today but it's just it's a certain kind of person that gets into that kind of thing so yeah the hilarious hijinks students yeah literally it just he tells them that they should take play you know take part in his game and they all refuse until they start bickering that all the those five leaders you know essentially yeah. challenge each other to do it the know, competitive by, juices start to yeah. flow and they yeah. find themselves buying into it oh by, my god it's and so good he makes that reference like at the beginning of the film leon's standing there and everybody walks out right they're all like aha whatever your game is stupid i'm not gonna mm-hmm. participate and here's candy and sunshine and they're looking at him like leon your whole thing fell apart he and he did, just sets it up like i'm the ultimate mastermind no no i've been doing this for a year i have picked and studied all of my subjects They'll be back in less than a week. <laughs> and sure enough, they all start infighting for one reason or another. You know, like the sorority girls are trying to like expand their sorority. And here come the football players. Oh, we're going to wreck everything. The meat, machine. The, meat yeah, machine. the meat machine. Yeah, the meat machine. And that like, oh, I'll get Whoa. you. I'll beat you or whatever. And then invariably, every one of them winds up and picks a team and is there by Friday to start. No, I yep. didn't watch this film again recently. <laughs> this isn't awesome. the easiest film to watch again. Actually, it's it hasn't it it it's yeah. legacy by Disney. Yeah. It, pretty much all these movies have been blown off completely by the Dis- Walt Disney Company, but yeah. but some of them, for you know, like Black Hole, for various reasons, finds its way anyway. Uh, this is a film where that's harder to do. It's so, yeah. so of its time. It's it yeah. it doesn't have anything salacious enough about it to make it a classic in that way. And yet it it you know the pe- it has its fans and people love it. But it mm-hmm. it just it's had a hard time initially on home video. It was a big deal, you know, in the early '80s because that's how everyone saw it. I I don't yeah. I think you could search the world over and you won't find someone who saw this film in the theater. I really think <laughs> right. that that's going to be a tough thing <laughs> right. to find. Um, everybody <laughs> saw it on HBO or whatever, or uh, in their local video store. 
um, that's where it's made its bones. So it was a big, I mean, it didn't cost that much, but it was still a big flop for Disney. It, it, it didn't get them any of the teen audience that they were coveting. No, it, it was, yeah, it was a big time money loser for Disney. Um, yeah, I mean, it is available out there You for, you know, like you can stream it, uh, like to like rent it, you know, so you can, you can get it for three, four bucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not just available on Netflix or anything like that. You know, if you have a subscription, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, so if you were a is. big fan of it, there wasn't like some special edition DVD that ever came out for it. it it's, it's a movie that, that those sorts of things exist, but they, it's just not very celebrated. Even it in is. Those, yeah. yeah. It is the very first, since it is the first movie appearance by Michael J. Fox. It's got that going. May, maybe, maybe at some point it will get some sort of, well, I don't uh, think there's uh, any version of it that doesn't just have him like some picture, oh, some close yeah, up it, of him on the cover. That's all Disney knows to sell with it. So it's, yeah. Um, we, yeah. Even with the, cameo of paul rubens in there i guess the it's it's full of fun stuff you know it's it's fairly clever i i i like it i admire it a lot and and i don't really laugh at it very much but it's got this great energy that pulls you through to the end and i think that's that that's super fun Mm -hmm. and it's almost it's almost all once it gets going anyway it's an all almost all nighttime shoot which is gives it this even though it's a really rather innocent film, it gives it this sort of vibe of danger, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, the, that scavenger hunt from a year before. Or so, which is basically the same movie, um, doesn't have at all. That film feels very undangerous. Yep. Even, even when you're kicking Tony Randall down the stairs, you're still like, eh, he's going to be okay. <laughs> he's going to be fine. Oh, so good. yeah, uh, Midnight Madness. I I'm not gonna lie, I love it. Yeah, that's a good it. one. Um, all right, next up is uh, Watcher in the Woods. This um, could the 19- be our Exorcist. This yeah. is the one. Yeah, this is the one that Ryan said that. Yeah, the quote was like, "This could be our Exorcist." Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there again. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is. I gotta admit, this is a movie I do not know. I may have seen it. Some of it seems familiar to me. Like, I feel like maybe I saw it, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, so you know, it's, this is, it's not much, but spe- I mean, ultimately what the, what the ghost is, what the watcher is, turns out to be a fantastical idea. Maybe we'll spoil that at the end. We'll see if I can talk about it without spoiling it, but I'd probably just spoil it since that's really the story of the movie, unfortunately, but it's a story about this young American family who move into a haunted English mansion with a creepy Betty Davis living there. Like, I don't know. It's just like, you know, if you're going to move into a creepy mansion, I mean, it's just one of those things. And the lady there who owns it is all like cryptic and weird and is looking at you and giving you omens and warnings, you know, just go live someplace yeah. else for the love of God. Yet nothing good is going to come from you doing that I, it, 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 it's a, just an utter cliche in that way but the how but it is the english countryside the house is really cool it's rather moody um the bits with the washer watcher are kind of voyeuristic and weird um it stars uh what's her face from ice castles i can't remember her name now uh she's really talking? the star of it um, um, she's like um, fifth build in it, but it's the plucky teenage daughter who like 
is determined to figure out the mystery and get to the bottom of things and who's sort of the most at risk in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, character's name was Jan, I, and but the actress is it Lynn Holly? Lynn Holly Johnson. Lynn Holly Johnson, who yeah. a lot of people find to be one of the more annoying people ever. But I always liked Lynn Holly. I like her in this. I liked her in Ice Castles. I liked her. I'm the only one who liked her in For Your Eyes Only. You can go back and watch the Bond episode <laughs> and get proof of that. Um, she's cute, fun, plucky teenager, like right out of central casting. I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what's not to like. I, I get that she's she's a, a little annoying, but that's part of the gig. You know, anyone who ever had an older, annoying sister, you know, who was kind of nice to you, but kind of horrible at the same time, like you sort of get it. Yeah, she's she's I I don't I'm not annoyed by her, so I find her sort of fun. Um, I, the mystery's sort of interesting. All the creepy British character actors that she comes across that help tell the story to help get her to the end. Like it's it's got some cool atmosphere in it. What it didn't have is a coherent payoff of any kind. That's uh, that's a combination of writing and disney yeah like and disney Miller just dropped. rejecting the ending to the point yeah. where they didn't have an ending really anymore they had a blinding shaft of light and a lot of noise and one character trying to, in vain to explain while it was happening what was going <laughs> on yeah um and it's part of because they show they had this huge elaborate ending planned which would kind of like the black hole which i think would have knocked people's socks off if they'd ever filmed it but it, they ran that with unfinished effects in front of test audiences. They actually released that. This is really unusual. You don't hear this. Yeah. They actually released that in New York and L.A., like in a limited release, a premiere release, with this unfinished ending. And the test audiences and the critics at the time hated it. So they mm. pulled the whole film for almost a year while they reshot a different ending. Ten days. It. it lasted ten days. And then they yanked it off and mm. they were trying to rush the film out because in 1980, that was Betty Davis's 50th anniversary of being with that studio. Yeah. It's like, here she has 50 years of acting. It's going to be great. They put it out there and people were like, God, this sucks. So I, like, Oh, nope, not doing that. But they were yeah. convinced, I think wrongly that they had a good movie other than a, yeah. a in, an incomprehensible ending. And what they had was a, a, Okay, barely passable movie that if it had an ending that was memorable, you might have had something. And and they took the what was interesting and memorable about the solution to the issue. They kept it. What what was happening, but the way they demonstrated it to you was didn't help your understanding at all of what was actually going on. And a matter of fact, until I did research for this show and really read about the history of that. I couldn't have told you what happened at the ending of the movie. I really didn't know. I mean, I knew that so-and-so came back and this and that, but I didn't get what was happening. I didn't even get what the thing was that was making it all happen and why. And I think you, when you watch it today, you still kind of don't get it unless you no, go into it with a with a knowledge of what it is, and then you can be like, oh, okay, I see. Mm. So, because all of that was removed. Right when they but it's all still right there. The, the, the new the ending, there. the new ending that all is still there. It's just a guy saying it and explaining Versus them it. showing it. Right, right. It's it's actually a little amazing. girl possessed by the watcher telling you what happened mm-hmm. while this light show is happening, 
And I really don't think that you get it. That they literally took an ending where they showed you to an ending where they told you, mm-hmm. and it's still not entirely clear what's happening. If you want to know, mm-hmm. write us. I'll explain it to you. Otherwise, there's a lot of there's a yeah. lot of writing about it. On there's even some still photographs of the Watcher uh, in its physical form that will will make you go, what? <laughs> wow. You can find those online. But Watcher in the Woods, it's another one of those where, you know, it played on HBO, a bunch of people saw it, a bunch of people saw it. You know, it, it is a scary movie, ostensibly, mm-hmm. that a family can watch together and come out rather relatively unscathed. So it's a u- kind of unique thing for its time. Um, it, it has this mood and atmosphere in it. It just is, it does have Betty Davis in it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah that they get a whole lot from her in the end, but yeah, she Um, wanted to play her younger self in it. She insisted that she play her younger self until, and they did all this, spent all this time doing makeup effects and stuff, trying to de-age her. Uh, Director felt he, he managed to de-age her a couple of decades, but he didn't manage to de-age her like 43 years or whatever it's supposed to be. And he sort of showed her this screen test of, and it was like, I don't know, Betty. I, I I don't I don't think we got there. What do What do you think? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, "You're damn right, we didn't get there. It looks ridiculous. I'm not doing it." <laughs> yeah. Basically, convinced her to, yeah, uninsist on that yeah. particular now, thing. Yeah. Now the this movie, this is the one that I had. You know, in terms of where you can find it now, this is the one that was the most difficult. I I, I you can buy it to stream on Amazon prime for only like five bucks, but literally that is the only place I remotely found it. If you ever um, see this on Disney plus, I'll be surprised. Yeah. So they did, you... they, there was a 2017 uh, remake of it yeah. with Angelica Houston, but um, no, this version, this Betty Davis version, that's the only place I was able to find it was like to, was to buy it for like five bucks. Yeah. One of those own on, the digital yeah digital streaming version things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it might be worth five bucks to you. If what you've heard here is interesting, it's not a bad movie, but Mm -hmm. no, no blockbuster movies used to cost what? Three 99 or something. Look at it that way. Yeah. There you go. Um, all right. Next up on our, this is another one that I remember. I loved growing up. I watched it a gajillion times. Uh, dragon slayer. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dragon yeah. Slayer is a co-production with Paramount. Yep, yep. And I don't. You guys might have some different ideas, but but Dragon Slayer is the darkest movie on this list by like a country mile to me. It's yeah, it's pretty. I mean, there's one coming up that uh, that I I need to revisit it because I I, I remember it being really dark and creepy uh but i'll you know i i should maybe revisit it but no you're right this one but in terms of my measuring stick of what did you just watch happen this yeah this film it it takes the cake there's i just don't think there's any question we talked about dragon slayer it made our top 10 fantasy movies of the 80s list Mm -hmm. it has i what i still think is unsurpassed the greatest screen dragon of all time yeah I, i really don't think that's been beaten and and uh, I think at the time of the film, you had to appreciate that when you were seeing it. Um, it does have some weak things in it. Peter McNichol is crazy sort of miscast in it. I think he does a nice job, but he, as an actor, like he can't even really bring himself to 
look at it or talk about it. He, he's embarrassed by it. And I don't think he thinks it's a crap movie. I think he just thinks, what what was I doing in this movie? I mean, how did that even come to be, really? And it is weird when you're watching it. That said, the the other person in it, I don't know if it's a spoiler to say who that is or what. I don't know. I, just, uh, I, I, I mean, if you, when you watch it, if you, you can't know figure right it out away, from the right? beginning. Exactly. The audience knows that everyone else doesn't know. All the, the villagers are dumb. <laughs> yeah. They've been sacrificing virgins to this, uh, uh, only female versions. Of course, the males are always, you're good to go. It's great being a guy in this world. I'll just tell you, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. to kind of keep the peace with this old deteriorating, uh, irritable dragon uh through a vermithrax pejorative through a rather brutal lottery system and one dad of a young virgin girl has had the idea to to disguise her as a boy and it's that character who's trekked across the kingdom to find this great wizard played brilliantly by the uh late ralph richardson and his penultimate role i want to say um and he's great in it. He's only yeah. kind of in it in the bookends, but he's really, really great in it. Ian McDermott plays a, a crazy Christian uh, monk in it. He's brilliant in it. it. It's full of these people that you sort of recognize from other stuff, but you know, yeah. Um, but it's, it's dark, you know, one of the, one of the bad guys just shoots one of our heroes with an arrow. Cause he just thinks it's funny. It, the actual sacrifice scene that you witness, I think, is one of the most brutal things in all of movies. It's just, yeah, it's it's just that one is creepy, disturbing. The, the like sa- it's it's hard. It's a hard watch because pull uh, no punches, disturbing sequence. Which it, it it this movie requires because it really does need to show you without blinking what it is they're fighting for. You know, it, yep. in that way, it I don't because it, it's not gratuitous. It's just what are you watching? You're watching this this poor person just fighting kicking scratching crawling to take their next breath and it's futile and when you when you're trapped watching something like that i i don't know it deeply affects me there's this you know subplot about which i won't go into the details of because but because it's there's some twists and turns involved in it that i think are useful but there's this plot about how the lottery is rigged you know against the poor and and Uh, the payoff for that is absolutely brutal as well. So it's kind of like, um, it's a, it's a, it's just a dark, violent, gross movie. It's about a gross medieval, brutal, ugly time. Um, and the dragon is terrifying and, and really, really well realized on film. And I, I I think dragon slayer is awesome, but it is, it was PG too somehow at the time. And I really, it's like Beastmaster, you know, when you, it's not, it truly is the movie on this list where maybe your kids are tougher than me. I don't know, but this one feels like one. I wouldn't sit down, even though I saw it when I was 10 and thought it was awesome. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Kids. I get it's PG rating at the time too. Right. Cause when you yeah. look at the other PG films around PG 13 didn't exist yet. Which yeah. Is why it didn't got exist. And that's an important call out. It didn't exist, right? So you had G, P, G, R. 
Right. And to get it to the R, like it just had to either be more gruesome, have more sex or start cussing. And that was it. Right. So and those ratings are slot. worthless because oh, yeah. all They're that's all happened is G is for animated movies. PG is for G rated non-animated movies. And PG-13 yeah. is everything that used to be PG in the past. So we, that distinction, like for only a few years, did it mean anything? It, now yeah. it mean it literally means nothing. There's no such. There's almost no such thing as a live action G rated movie. And back mm-hmm. in 1979, there were there were tons of them. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it they, the, those ratings sort of lost their meaning. But this is a PG movie. This is like I said. I I still think Beastmaster is worse because it has full frontal nudity and all kinds of really horrific yeah. things in it that this film is less explicit about, but in terms of what, what do you see happen? It's a tough one. And, but it's also beautiful. It's got Alex North, you know, who wrote the music to Spartacus. Like he's this old school. Yeah. Fifties and sixties sort of film composer. It's got an amazing score by him. Some incredible cinematography, great design of the fantasy world in which it takes place. Um, and the the dragon, uh, we should mention Phil Tippett, who uh, one of yep. the great great animators, uh, stop action animators. Yeah, it's called. History. He calls it go motion. Go motion, yeah. Um, Which is something that wasn't used very much, but it was essentially stop motion, except it was shot in a way that gave the figures motion blur, like they would have if they were moving in a regular mm-hmm. frame yeah. of, of a camera, which made it feel. It's you still has that stop motion creepiness, but it it does feel like it's inhabiting its surroundings in a way that the stuff in Clash of the Titans the next year doesn't really have. So, yeah, yeah. Um, even though those creatures are magical in, in an old school way too, it it's splitting the difference in a really clever way. It's an amazing mm-hmm. uh, Thermodrax is an he's an incredible screen monster, really an amazing yeah. one. It should be yep. seen for that reason alone. Yep, totally and, worth a watch. And uh, like for that film, there's not a lot of Disney injected into it. Just so if you're looking for a fantasy film where yeah, Disney's name's tacked on, Paramount's influence takes over this, is which is why you get a more gruesome and darker version. Yeah, because if it was if Disney execs were injecting more into this, it would not have been the film right. It would. It, it, it's hard be. to imagine half of what happens in it would even yeah could exist. Right. Yep, and um, which is but it was Disney. Why... It was a Disney Pictures production. Yep. It was a, yep. even though it was a co-production. Um, and 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 it is av- It is not available on Disney Plus, but it is available on the newly launched Paramount Plus. Uh, you can also rent. You can rent it for uh, you know on, on most streaming services, but you can if you have a subscription to Paramount plus yeah, it's CBS slash Paramount plus. Yeah. What, what until last week was CBS all access. Now it is Paramount Paramount plus, um, which, which Brian and I have, because that's the only way we can watch European soccer. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah. Uh, all right. So next up this, okay. Now this is, I have it for the CSI reruns. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Um, and uh, and which get is it what I would be watching now if I wasn't here with you two bozos, just 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 wow. downing, just putting uh, CSI reruns straight into your veins. Put them, yeah. get them in there, man. I don't I even care which CSI it is. <laughs> I like, I yep, I like CSI Miami uh, Sioux Falls, CSI Bakersfield. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> uh, boy, I wish I had that song. CSI right. Lubbock. <laughs> They're all turnip related yeah. murders. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, next up is a um you know the uh, hilarious story of a uh, of people trying to escape East Germany. Um and that <laughs> is uh night crossing. Um you know, yeah, when you think when you think um you know dramas f- featuring yeah cro- you know crossing east germany you think disney mm-hmm. um but this is uh yeah but this is it's a really um, good movie based on a, a story about a family who escaped east berlin into the west in a hot air balloon and it's a it's a true story and it's really well done there there was a german remake of the same story just recently which really straight mm. up the Disney version is sort of takes that idea and makes a movie out of it. There's a movie called uh, it's whatever's German for balloon, but if you look it up, it's you look it up in English, it's called balloon. Balloon flucht. Yeah, and uh, ba- no balloon balloon flucht. Yeah, and it it's really really good too. It sort of tells the story straight up, but it Night Crossing is a really cool film actually. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I haven't seen it since I watched it in a church basement on summer movie Tuesdays at some church in my neighborhood where we would go and they would have a different Reader's Digest or Disney sort of, you know, 19 millimeter film that they would show and we'd all sit there on mats on the floor and watch it and then our parents would be rid of us for a couple hours, which is, is the only reason for there to be that. Uh, that and I, we didn't, you know, if you didn't, if this in the early '80s, if you, if people had cable and stuff, but not everybody had it. it that all was yeah. sort of slow to come into the culture. So this was a way for you to see stuff like this. And I saw a lot of movies that I still really love that way. And Night Crossing is one that I was excited about when I came across this list because I hadn't really given it a lot of thought in all these years. But it's a you know, it is. It's a family story. It's a family like escape story. Everybody's. In, in Brit, you know everybody's English and they talk with American accents. Like the the idea of the Iron Curtain is sort of they demonstrate it, but it's 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 like an idea. It's not yeah. the whole thing. You know what I mean? It's not uh, the movie. It reminds me most of is the Last Flight of Noah's Ark, which came out around the same time. Which is this? Wow, that's a title I had not heard, had not have not heard of in a very long time. Yeah. It's a fun movie. It's about a family who gets marooned on an island and they turn their 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 b12 bomber or whatever mm-hmm. into a into a boat that they can take out to the shipping lanes and get rescued um it's fun <laughs> it takes the whole family to do it you know what i mean this is like a similar kind of story as that uh so but i don't have much to say about it because i haven't watched it recently but i just i it made an impression on me when i was a kid that whole idea of i mean of sneaking silently over the berlin wall yeah in a hot air balloon and how they how they get it you know the first time they order all the fabric and stuff for the hot air balloon nobody questions it but once they get busted to like and they're determined to try it again the things they have to do to make this balloon (laughs) <laughs> without yeah. being able to just mm-hmm. do it. It, it, it it's really fun and they, they have to be inventive and creative and it, and uh it's really atmospheric you know it was shot in west berlin west berlin at night is a 
there's no place like it. I mean, there's no such thing as it now. So back in the eighties, mm-hmm. that was a, like a, a real thing that inspired some great art. So I don't know where that one would be, but it's, it, I encourage people to maybe check it out if they like, like I said, uh, last flight of Noah's Ark. That's what we're talking about. It's, it's a gimmicky fun. It has that fun Disney family vibe to it. It, it is literally dark, but figuratively, I think a little less so. Mm-hmm. I think this one is on streaming. On, yeah, you uh, can Prime. you can rent this one. This is like a three dollar rental on most streaming platforms. A good um, movie. Yep. Um, okay, so the next movie uh, is a movie that uh, we've brought up before on the movie show with Joel and Ryan, um, but it is uh, also from this very weird time period in Disney's here- history. Um, and it was uh, the movie that was going to redefine animation, and that's Tron. Yeah, Tron. love this the, film. Yeah, the great summer of 1982. Tron, Tron made a few bucks, but Tron was almost like everything. Other, every other great movie. There, there are a couple of movies that were hits: Conan, The Barbarian, mm-hmm. and Star Trek II: Rathacon that came out summer '82. But if you were Blade Runner or The Thing or Tron or anything that came out after ET came out, you flopped at the box office. And that's a magical summer for us because that you look at the films and it's this, it's just like all our favorite movies like in yeah. one summer. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we remember them that way, but what we don't remember was that man. Once you know, once ET, once you took ET off your screen and put up Tron for a couple weeks, you were just like, all right, back to ET. And all the theaters essentially did this. They ran stuff for a while until everyone who wanted to see him had seen it, and then they threw ET back up on the screen as quick as they yeah. could because people were seeing that three, seven, nine, sixteen times. And they yeah. were only seeing Tron once, you know. So yeah. uh, in a different summer, I I, really, I think Tron is good enough and inventive enough. And I think it takes the world of computing and how computers work seriously enough that it's it, – you watch a lot of movies about computers like Superman 3 or um, Electric Dreams or whatever. Pick your 80s computer mm-hmm. f- fantasy movie. They all are just totally stupid. Um but a couple of them aren't. War Games isn't, and Tron yep, right. isn't. It really takes the computing aspect of things. It uses it all as metaphor for an old-fashioned screen adventure, but it still, it still takes that stuff seriously, and it's still inspired by real-life computing when it creates all these magical things. It, it's good to call out here that it was actually guys who worked in programming and were programmers and people from MIT Right. who had experience with computers that actually made this film. Right. And like and their the, experience uh, with their corporate overlords too, that they sort yeah. of wrote it in protest against it. That's all in the movie. Yep. It's very cool. I was, I was amazed when I found out, cause I started to look back through the history of this, uh, the film. I'm trying to remember the director, um, Steve Lishberger, yep. Lishberger. Thank you. Lishberger had mentioned Tron only once in an interview when he was doing, I think it was Animal Olympics or something is what his company was shooting. And he mentioned it kind of in passing, but didn't say anything else. Alan, um, shoot. Uh, the guy who becomes the, like the character of Alan is actually, um, uh, Bruce Boxleitner's character. Boxleitner. Yeah. Bruce Boxleitner's character. The he's, I can't remember his last of, name, but Alan um, one is his username. 
Yes, Alan. What is his username? And I want to Alan say Alan Bradley. K. Alan K. Is the godfather of like object-oriented programming and GUI interfaces and stuff. He saw the, the he read the interview and he called up Lichner and he said, "Dude, I, I need to consult on your film. I need to like help you out with this. I want to be in this. I want to be in this." And he was so in it from the beginning all the way to the end that you, that's where the Alan characters, like Alan one's influence comes from. He's basically Alan K yeah. and Alan K's like- And in great Bruce Boxleitner sidekick form, yep. Bruce is the perfect guy to read all of the required exposition <laughs> throughout the film. Even, <laughs> Tron, even Tron himself is just a stick up his butt sort of <laughs> character. You know, he's the movies named after him, but he's like, Yep. And then this will happen, and then we will do this, and blah, blah, yep. blah. It's, it, it's a really fun performance and a knowing performance by Bruce, who's one of my favorite actors in this sort of material. Yeah. And what I liked about this was that here are people that you wouldn't expect to be inside the movie industry. And this is, if you're listening, if you're sitting inside of a cubicle, if you're at home and you're a programmer or something else, yeah. here's your wake-up call. You can be creative. You can be an artistic person. All these things exist because go read the history of how Tron was made. And it's all by people like you. Yeah. And it's yeah. incredibly amazing and inventive. It was shot on 70 millimeters so that yeah. they could layer on these three different layers of effects and, and have in the end about a 35 millimeter quality mm -hmm. film, which was a very, very smart idea that only a room full of really smart technicians could have come up with because it really would have been it as it is. Some parts of it are blurry and degraded and yeah. full of uh, blown up and frozen film grain and stuff. That's just the nature of opticals at the time. But mostly today, if you watch a properly restored version of it, you're seeing this, fantasy world where it's shot on live cameras but then animated over in a way where the anim where the computer animation and the drawn animation and it all fits together in this sort of miraculous and i i should say strikingly beautiful way um yep. it lisberger joked that when they got the cameras to shoot the live action footage because they're all as, like as big as a jeep he said that there was still sand in some of them from making Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> which is a joke, but it's a pretty funny uh, joke that I thought good, we'd repeat here. That's a good here. quality joke, yeah. You know, yeah. they just didn't make movies like that then, and nobody yeah. ever made a movie like Tron. Even the the Tron sequel, it, it, they didn't. You know, they didn't have to do all that. No, the they, same way again. The animators and the army of old school Disney mm -hmm. magic makers. This is the film where the new and the old, much more, I think, than Black Hole or some other things. This is the film where that all came together to make a really unique and interesting and fascinating thing mm -hmm. that just the timing was just terrible for them. Uh, really, they, they proved out CGI as a concept to be placed in live action film and that you could do it. And the. Yeah, that it didn't have to be either film. or. It didn't have to be right. some something someone was watching on a screen. It could yep. be part of the movie itself. And the entire CGI sequences of the of the film add up to something like 15, 16 minutes of running time. Yep. And so it's not the bulk of the film. Right. But it's so they spent so much time working on it, so much time and so much money. Disney just threw money at this thing like nobody's business uh, to come. Well, they up thought with, they had they thought they had a massive hit. They really thought they yeah. had something unique and special, which, like I say, I, I, I think they did. It's a little they, simple. 
the way it's scripted, but the ideas behind it continue and the themes behind it continue to right. carry weight as we go forward. I think it changed well, I mean, filmmaking. Yeah, it, it like, is. It, well, and it, and it's had, it, it's proven to have had this huge lasting effect on, on film and culture. The light bikes are still, mm-hmm. you know, a huge thing to the extent that now in 2021, I don't know if it's going to be this year or next year that Disney world is going to have a Tron roller coaster. Um, you know, they've, they've had it, they had, they've had it in China, I believe for several years, you know, like a good 10 years or so now, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not quite 10, but well, next but, year will be the 40th anniversary of the movie. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it clearly, it has, it has this, this staying power because, you know, maybe, maybe even because of the, uh, what you were saying, Ryan, of the sort of the simplicity of the story itself. Right. That's just a linear, yeah, go here, a, it, do this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, the, it's the magic of being transported to another world. You know, the idea behind the movie is that a real life guy is deresoluted and uploaded into the computers that he needs to find some evidence to exonerate himself and get the rights to some of his intellectual uh, property back. So it's a heist movie for him. And that's Jeff Bridges who, you know, again, it's fun watching young Jeff Bridges play this type of wisecracky guy. Uh, The, I can't remember the woman's name, but both Box Leitner and her are great foils for that because they play these actual computer programs really straight. Mm -hmm. When I watch Tron, the only objection I have to it, and I don't know how this is fixable, but I, we we should not enter the universe of Tron until Flynn does. And there's all these yeah. scenes with um, I can't remember the other actor's name. The guy who plays uh, Ram, Ram, and yeah. the guy who plays Crom, and like you meet yeah, these people like, and they're in this world and and uh, they're cool. But why are we spending time? Because they're not even playing games or doing anything spectacular. Why are we spending time with them in the crazy computer world? before our own like character, you know, our own surrogate character is transported mm-hmm. there. I've always thought that felt like some dumb idiot at the back of the room saying, we need to establish time in this, yeah. you know, because it just from a, it, every other storytelling aspect, it it's stupid. It robs you of the big wow moment. You know, Tron legacy fixes that. We, we don't go there until he goes there. And then you, you, it, then it's this, it's this wow moment. It is in both cases, but it's a double wow moment when you, when you go with there with the character that you're supposed to be identifying mm-hmm. with it. I've always thought that was dumb and frustrating. At the same time, I don't know where those other scenes would have gone. I like getting to know Ram and Crom. They're cool, but I don't. Yep. It's weird. Yeah. It would have to be a long setup sequence before you get, you know, Flynn interacting. Flynn involved. And, and, yeah. And I just, there's no storytelling reason for that, except, Mm -hmm. except some dumbass was just too impatient to wait for it to happen naturally yeah i wonder i wonder if there was an element of well if we wait and if we don't see it until flynn goes flynn goes into the programming will people think that it's not real like this is just this is in flynn's head or something let them think that who cares yeah Yeah. no i agree i agree i'm just wondering if that 
I'm just trying to think out. I'm thinking out loud as to why a decision like that would be made. Oh, Structurally, it's odd because they. Do, yeah. It's not a. The first time you go into the computer world should, even if you're not going to wait or you can't wait, it should happen in like some pre-title sequence and it should blow your mind. It yeah. shouldn't be just these two guys in these little cells, chit-chatting about yeah. what they used to do when, when before they were slaves. Yeah. You know, it, it is. That it's was an, an odd scene. Program. <laughs> it's an odd scene. Uh, and Cindy Morgan, let's give it up. Yeah, we, we want to mention yes. Cindy Morgan. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's best great. Known, best known as Lacey Underall. Uh, in, uh, she, she's great in it. In, and um, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. And uh, Bernard Hughes and D- David Warner, obviously. David Warner. He's fantastic. Yep. He's the bad guy. Um, all right. Tron is available on Disney Plus also. Tron's know. everywhere. Tron, yeah, Tron's Tron. legacy really has done well mm-hmm. for Disney, even though. Yeah even though the box office take at the time was, it wasn't bad, but it was m- way more moderate than they had hoped. Yep. All right. Next up is something wicked. This way comes. Ray uh, Bradbury quote. Yeah, little. Yes. Yeah. Creepy uh, fantasy horror, dark yet family film. Uh, <laughs> Disney family horror. That's just, it's like yeah. an oxymoron. <laughs> Jack Clayton, who directed a rather famous, well, he directed a bunch of stuff. He directed the the Great Gatsby in the seventies and a whole bunch mm-hmm. of things. He's a British guy. He directs this with a nice formalism that that really serves the film well. I wouldn't think that an uptight British guy directing a homey Americana. Bradbury story would be a good mix, but on film it really works great because the design and the atmosphere is all pure British horror story, and yet the dialogue and the kids and the characters all kind of live in this alternate kind of Norman Rockwell painting, and the the two yep. things are married right down to the very British but very uh, very intimidating bad guy. Uh, Jonathan Price with his Jonathan platform Price. shoes on, mm-hmm. being as deliciously, deliciously evil <laughs> as she can possibly be. Um, I, I, are we I sure love... he's a vi- are we sure he's a villain because his name is Mister Dark, and I think that sort of it's a little on the know, nuts. I... Yeah, <laughs> Dark Circus. Have you seen these two boys? Yeah, uh, he's just. He just oozes creepy, don't trust this guy. He's going yeah. after your soul. Why not? Yeah. Right from the start. It's yeah, that kind of story. Fun. It's, yeah, it's he, We're yeah. talking about Bradbury now. It's not. Yep. He's not hiding anything from you, you know. Right. This dark circus comes to town. You know, the slow motion smoke coming out of the top front of the train. Um, it's awesome. And the kids chasing the train. And then... You know, there's a sequence that happens where the circus comes to town and they get all, they see it. They see the animals, like on the side panels of the train. They get all excited. They chase it. And then apparently there's this huge effect sequence where, you know, basically the entire circus, an animated circus carnival comes out of a hat, basically, and forms itself and everything. Um, they cut it because they thought it. De- they thought it would be mocked. They, it was expensive and it looked cool, but it didn't look real. And they thought it, it would be mocked. And I have to say, I'd love to see that sequence if it's truly yeah. is finished. But mm-hmm. 
them just chasing the train and then going around a corner and showing up around the corner with the whole carnival empty and fully formed in front of their eyes is as creepy a thing. It's as simple and as scary and creepy a thing as, as you could have. What's creepier than an empty carnival at night just appearing out of the fog? Sure, yeah. You yeah. know, it's you don't need to see it animatedly all you know coming to life. Like, you don't need that. Um, you don't need the weird sequence where they're all two years older and getting attacked by spiders either. That was added at the last. But, but that was like a okay. We were doing reshoots, so we're gonna put this stuff in and like, yeah, these prepubescent kids. kids, yeah, who suddenly have like twelve o'clock shadow and it's like, <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but they're just obviously not the same age they are in the rest yeah. of the movie in that sequence. Um. Great it's a Jason, jarring. The great Jason Robards, you know, playing this yeah. guy who it's classic Bradbury esque character. You know, this this sort of weak bookworm of a guy who has this chance to do the right thing, to be brave mm-hmm. and to be a hero to his son. It, it's really, really powerful. This scene in the library where Price is tearing out the pages of his life in mockery of him and in condemnation of him is like mm-hmm. really, really fantastic. Um, the townsfolk are really lovable if sort of hopelessly doomed and, and the, the sidekicks, you know, that of the circus are all creepy and it's it just, just it, the right amount of creepiness too. And right? a total, uh, and yet it's totally a family film. I, yeah. I really don't think there's anything that's too much for a kid or that, it's scary, but it's not chill your bones scary. It's moody and atmospheric, and it it mm-hmm. it it really does play safe with you. You really do, even though the film doesn't hint at it. It's something about it. It's the Bradbury of it. It it yeah. You're and not all Bradbury movies have happy endings by any means, but this film just feels like that good will overcome here in whatever way it can, it, it will. You sort of believe in that from the beginning. A lot of that's the kids. A lot of it's Robard's gravitas. Despite the fact that he's playing kind of a wimp, he, he brings, a, he brings a real powerful screen presence with them. That's equal mm-hmm. to prices and they're fantastic together. Some really cool effects. I don't know. I I really like something wicked this way comes. I think it holds up really really well. Yeah, I I haven't seen it in a very very long time. I Same. remember I remember liking it. I remember go- thinking this is dark and cool, and you know it made me it made me feel grown up watching it. Yeah, yeah, um, yep. yeah. So I saw it on video when I was a kid. Was thought it was fantastic. I haven't seen it since. Wanted to see it before the show. Well, you you can't. This is one I you can't find anywhere yeah. to watch this. You can. There's a few places where you can buy a DVD of it, but it is not available on any streaming platform. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, weird yeah, to it, me because to me, it, what just came out in '83. I mean, to me, it's mm-hmm. it's indelibly a part of that era where yeah. they basically remaking every single film from that yeah. time and it, you know this to me this is as good as uh, any of those really yeah. it's a good yeah. film i, I wonder i'm, I'm it's certainly as here. good as crawl or whatever yeah I, mean, I, I am reading here that there is talk of doing a remake of something wicked this way comes for disney plus so maybe it's one of those things that once that what's it need a remake for it takes place in the 40s yeah i don't know i don't know 
probably to update it for modern times and take yeah, get a love the, triangle in there yeah. of some kind. Definitely. Sure, um, you know, when you have a beloved, um, excuse me, when you have a beloved, uh, like the, uh, uh, story that people of all ages absolutely respond to, um, when you're going to go revisit that property and, and that people hold beloved and, and worship, um, you know, one of the smartest things as a production company you can do is make it super dark and weird and creepy, like what they did with Return to Oz. You're not revisiting, <laughs> you're returning. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I should, yeah, you're returning. Um, yeah, so Return to Oz is our next film. Yeah, Walter uh, Murch, who's not a, a humanistic director of any no. sort, he's His a really talented director. guy. This is the only time he ever directed. Yeah, he's, he's a really brilliant sound designer and just a really brilliant yep. film editor. thinker and technician yeah. editor. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it works. has worked on a ton of like really, you know, of, of mm -hmm. amazing films. Yeah, and it's an award winner too. It's a pretty accurate, yeah, for Apocalypse Now and other things. And it's it's really accurate version of this version of Ronald Dahl's story, but uh, no, uh, uh, not no. Ronald Dahl. Uh, Ronald uh, L. Frank Baum. Oh, L. Frank Baum. Yeah. Jeez, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not Ronald Dahl at all. Yeah. Or it, it'd be even creepier. It would. It, yeah, it does have creepiness. Creepy. It feel. I mean, it's okay. Creepy. There's this creepiness, movie, and then there's Ronald Dahl creepiness. Way, this yeah, doesn't go that far. But this movie is closer to to Roald Dahl than it is to to the uh, to early, the, movie to the of, of of to the Judy Garland uh, Judy, Wizard Judy of Oz. Garland film. Yeah. 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 There's no songs in it. The it it is creepy. It's the whole thing a isn't a dream that happens during a tornado. It's a yeah. fever dream that happens while this little girl's being electro charred tortured. <laughs> Because nobody believes therapy. her stories about yep. Oz, yeah. so so they're yeah, literally they're trying to correct her. They're hooking her up to diodes and sending electrical shocks through her with her parents looming over her. Oh my god! And it's, that's yeah. that is what sends her back to Oz in this. So that says it all, really. The film is creepy. It's weird. It's weirder than it is creepy. It's it's creepiness is there's a lot more of it than you'd think there'd be in this kind of movie, but it's not that creepy, but it is constantly odd. The characters that you're confronted with are all stand-ins for the characters in the earlier film, but they are all w super weird in a way that the, that a talking scarecrow somehow isn't that weird. Once you spend mm -hmm. a little bit of time with it, the, the talking pumpkin head kid is weird the whole time. And the, <laughs> the the moose head and it's just yeah. weird it really is super weird and if you can get over that the gump <laughs> if you gump. can get over that it's pretty inventive and, and interesting looking film you know it's an interesting fantasy film from that era but it's a lot more like a fairy tale like like almost like legend than it is like the wizard of oz from 1939 yeah this is a film that People rejected it for that reason. Oh, it yeah. Just, it, oh, this yeah. is not a sequel to Wizard of Oz. This isn't at all what we wanted. You know. and, and it wasn't supposed to be. At least that's not how Merch saw it. And that's not how the two books, the original two books that he based it off of were. Right. They weren't sequels to the Wizard of Oz. And he brought this thing to life i think is the best way to put it. his vision his passion project That's right he put or it together. labyrinth it's a little like too because yeah. it's this little girl yeah, going yeah, through this yeah. magical land with all this 
crazy weird stuff but it doesn't have any of the fun of labyrinth either i have to say like it the film never lets you off the hook from the weirdness it just takes it all not seriously but it takes it all literally and that is a weird it's a weird approach even though i enjoy it as an older person even as an older person i enjoy it as a curiosity more than a movie itself yeah it's a it's a dark from the beginning all the way to the end and um my friend matt put it best when i told him i was these are the list of films i gotta go through he went "Oof, that one's that one's gonna that's a little hard to get through (laughs) (laughs) and i was like okay yeah all right embracing myself again because i remember to me to me it's purely expectations i think if it hadn't been an oz film if it had been a weird 80s fantasy film Yeah. yeah with a little girl going on a magical journey even if you changed hardly any of it I, I just don't think the reaction journey. would be so vitriolic as it is to it. Yeah, because it, I think it's the it, fact it, that you say, yeah, when you say return to Oz, you're like, I'm going back. Woo, we're going over the rainbow. Woohoo. Yeah, it's going to be. And they're like, oh, if we only had brains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it has none of that. It just, it has none of that. It, she shows yeah. up in Oz and everybody's been enslaved and. Turn the the yellow brick road yeah. is all torn to shreds and it's yep. it's this dark ugly threatening place and, and it, oz was threatening enough but it had all this joyous buoyancy to it and uh-huh. this film has none of that it it's of it's it like they said hey you know kids now that you the kids who loved wizard of oz so much growing up now that you're all adults i'm gonna crap on your child you know we're just gonna destroy your childhood <laughs> memories and show you what really what you were really watching or you know i don't know it's, there's there's something to that there's a it just it feels, there's a contrary uh, yeah, aspect to it that's yeah. a great word that's that's a that's a great way to put it that's your idea word. but i i totally get it that yeah i don't think that's intended but that absolutely exists as mm-hmm. part of the project it's the defining aspect actually of the project so um, that's why i say like don't don't if you're gonna watch this film do not, do not, please do not look at this as a sequel. Go yeah, in and watch yeah, this Keep film. your this expectations not, in check for just yeah. how truly different it is. Yeah, this right. is not a like a binge, hey, I'm going to watch. This is not the Wizard of Oz cinematic universe. Right, they, yeah. they did that no. to pretty great effect in Oz the Great and Powerful, the Sam Raimi film. That's a really good prequel to uh, the world of Wizard of Oz, in yeah. my opinion. That's about as good as a modern filmmaker is yeah. going to be able to do with that type of material. So go watch that. That's that's fun. This this is mm-hmm. this is very, it's interesting, but it's not very fun at all. I will, I will mention um, just because any chance we get to say this, uh, but it's really beautiful. Was... It's really well designed. It's mm-hmm. really the puppetry and stuff. Like it's very inventive. It, there's all this really cool fantasy world aspect to it. Matter of fact, there's my there's this really weird thing that's not explained about how the main bad guy, the King of Oz at the time, really, really hates or is threatened by chickens. And of course, for whatever reason, uh, Dorothy goes back to Oz with this chicken, this talking chicken that helps her and gives her advice and stuff. And there's this great scene, and forgive my impression, and double forgiveness to you in Radioland who can't even see this, but there's this weird entity that lives inside the rocks of the world and it basically follows our heroes and then informs on them to the bad guy and the rocks just an animated face in different rocks and it's like 
Yeah. And it's really funny. It's fun yeah. animation. And it it first says, "Oh, somebody has come," blah blah blah. And then it, it but and then he's like, "Okay, you may leave." And it doesn't leave. It sits there and goes. And he's like, "What? What? What else? What is it?" And he goes, "It has. She has a chicken with her sire." And from off screen, you don't even see the back. You hear him say, "A chicken," <laughs> and the animation's like, <laughs> it's like. It's so awesome, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I wish there was more of this in it. I really do. <laughs> I don't. Uh, maybe the chicken thing is explained, but I, I don't think that yeah. it is because I don't think the book explains it. And and I think a book can do that. I think a movie. Mm-hmm. I hate to say this because I didn't need an explanation. Just I thought just that moment, if that had been it, would have been worth it. But people, they want everything you know. explained to them, and this movie doesn't work very hard at that people oh. disappear in it into some weird void which is kind of oz's version of pg-13 death and then they reappear from it and there's no really reason given as to why or what sure it, it's all these weird ideas that they execute but don't bother to throw the audience a bone every once in a while so um, the the sci-fi uh saturn awards this movie was up for best fantasy film but of course lost to the greatest uh, fantasy film of the sci-fi film of the uh, fantasy film of the eighties, Lady Hawk. Um, so, any chance to mention Lady hey, Hawk? Hey, Re- Return to Oz is uh, it's not a gem in the rust or anything, and it, it's 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 no. not a forgotten gem, but it it is yep. a misunderstood and unfairly maligned film. It is no Lady Hawk, though, ladies. And um, yeah, it it. It is available on Disney Plus, so you can watch it if you have a Disney Plus subscription. Peruza Balik plays yeah, for, for, for uh, Dorothy yeah. Gale yeah. in it. Um, all right, so her next family up- is all just super mean, and the Nicole <laughs> yeah, Williamson yeah. plays the psychologist and the evil king of Oz. You know, in the double casting, that the, the child psychologist they bring him to, and he's completely he's Nicole Williamson's always a treat when he shows up. Uh, notoriously hard to, to work with, but it's he's worth it because what he puts on screen is so fun. And he his his evil child psychologist who's incompetent and worthless is fantastic. So you get that. And you get that rock guy who I mm-hmm. really learned to love by the end. Even though he was kind of a bad guy, I, I learned to love him by the end. Uh, one of the things that... Um, uh, wait, wait. Even oh, okay. even in Sorry, even in was... the regular Wizard of Oz, where like Dorothy wakes up and she's in bed, all warm and cozy, and surrounded by loved ones smiling at her. You know, they find her dying of hypothermia in a river. <laughs> the search party with dogs find her at the end. Of the yeah, movie. like oh. it's like, jeez, you guys, <laughs> what are you doing? It's like it's all part of her imagination. Even the fact that she has a loving family with loving farmhands, she's just dreaming that up. We can all see with our own eyes that she's just living in this nightmare world where she has to escape to a made up nightmare world just to cope psychologically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's <laughs> again, when you say what it is, it sounds almost brilliant. I have to say, yeah, yeah. It, but your, your reaction may vary. Be warned on that one. <laughs> um, so uh, the next film is a film that uh, I, re- I remember not liking. So I'm, I'll be curious to see what you guys say uh, about this. Uh, Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. Baby. Um, yeah, you know, you go to Central Africa and discover a brontosaurus. 
Um, so, uh, yeah. A couple, yes. A brontosaurus so, couple and their baby. And yeah. their titular baby. character of Baby yeah, Secret the, of Lost Legend. So, as a, as a film goer, like, you know, around the time this film came out, my viewpoint of what you should be seeing on cinema as a kid definitely had changed. I thought this concept was stupid. Yeah. I thought it was stupid in 1985. I think it's <laughs> stupid now. And it's so cool. Have, it's a lost world story. You've, you've got a couple story. of uh, William Cott and uh, Sean Young play Sean a couple Young. of like mm-hmm. Peace Corps people trying to, you know, this is a little uh, insensitive now, but trying to bring, you know, like some sort of civilization to the uncivilized Africans. And you've got this evil British... I don't know what his deal is, scientist or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all chasing this secret of the lost legend, this legend that this giant creature lives in the jungle. To me, it's like a family version of King Kong. It, it is stupid, but it's 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 harmless enough. Like I, there, this movie has a lot of condescension and hate that goes with it, which I I don't think it earns at face value. Plus there weren't a lot of ways to see live action dinosaurs at the time. And the dinosaurs in the movie are that designed. They're not the best, but they interact with their environment in a very believable and real way. The, the puppet of, especially of the infant that they sort of adopt and try and raise when bad things happen to mom and dad. Um, I, it's it's pretty well done. It is weird that the two main characters who become sort of the conservationists of the film are like, like he's always horny and trying to get her to sleep with them. And <laughs> you get the idea that they sleep together a lot, but we don't show it. All we're privy to is his advances, which makes him for an odd character. Um, Sean Young looks great in it. And it, and it, I liked it. It's all shot on location in like the Ivory Coast, and you know it has so it has this exotic flavor to it. All these helicopter shots and all these widescreen views of the actual jungle and the rivers and how they kidnap these dinosaurs and try to get them out of the jungle is tricky. I think all that's done in a very photo real and believable way. Um, I think when the brontosaurus goes on its rampage at the end, it's fairly effective. So I don't. I get what you're saying. It is dumb. Mm-hmm. It's it's a dumb Lost World movie. Those are all stupid. Um, truly, like th- that's the whole. They all are. I can't think of any ones that were like, oh yeah, that one, that one was the smart one. You know, it wasn't until <laughs> Jurassic Park <laughs> yeah. came along and the f- whole first third of the thing was them explaining DNA to you and everything. Yeah. The movie's not quite like that, but the book just goes out of its way to say this is how it's possible, and then it delivers you an adventure. This movie just doesn't bother with that first part because why bother? It, you know, is kind of my take on it. Mm-hmm. It is childish and stupid, though. It has it's great, great role for uh, Julian Fellows, the the creator yeah. and writer of um, who used to just be an uh, a, yeah. a put upon uh, actor. Tom Abbey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He plays the he plays the the. Toady, the henchman, the main henchman of our bad guy, played by is it Patrick McGowan plays the bad guy? Yeah, Patrick McGowan. Yep. You know Patrick McGowan. He 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 never turned down a check to be in a stupid movie, but he 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 plays it straight. He I appreciate that when I go back and watch it. William uh, Cott doesn't play it straight, but he's not asked to. He's supposed to be this wisecracking guy or whatever. Yeah, he's yeah he's uh, he's asked he's, to to you know be 
Han Solo and Luke Skywalker clothing, essentially. Yeah. He was first runner-up to be Luke Skywalker, in fact. Yes, he was. Um, Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend is available. You can watch it, uh, stream it on uh, rent, rent to stream it or rent, or rent or buy it to stream it on most services. If you are a subscriber of Hoopla, and I got it. What? I, I'd never... <laughs> heard of the streaming service but Hoopla, Hoopla. hoopla's got baby secret of the lost legend included well there's a they reason to that, check it out ladies and yeah, gentlemen they got that thing on lock i, I sort of stole your thunder brian statement? did you want to rip Stupid. on that one some more <laughs> uh there's nothing to rip on i mean i i freely admit that i didn't watch the film and that even now i didn't watch the film because I <laughs> it's so the concept dumb was yeah, yeah. i looked at this you're not alone said, not many people have get... watched it they didn't even right. watch it at the time and I, I try, like when I go back and say, okay, maybe I should watch this film, right? I'll, I'll mm. pull up the trailers again. I'll take a look at the stills. I'll, you know, say, okay, can I get into this? And I was just like, oh God, this is like a live action land before time. I don't need this shit. Like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what came to me. And I was just like, all right, when we get to this segment of the film, I'm just going to shut the up. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So moving on to uh, the movie that I, you know, I also could, one could make the argument that this, this is also, yeah, th this is a pretty dark film, um, but yet it's animated. It's animated darkness, the black cauldron. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I just sort of wanted to cap it off with this. This is a kind of beloved animated movie that also cost a ton and came out and totally flopped. Because mm -hmm. tonally, it's very serious and, and it is spooky and dark. Except um, in France. It made money in France. Did it? <laughs> yeah, it did. did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's good for it, I guess. I like Black yeah. Cauldron. I don't love it. By yeah. this point, in animated films, I was... But it's it's amazing to me that Black Cauldron's only about two, two or three years difference. The next Disney animated movie was um, Little Mermaid. Yep. And they yeah. feel like they're 20 years apart at least. And that, that has to go back to and their style. Like when the, yeah. Their style. When the, when the film was put together and they because decided this was, to go. Black Cauldron to me is Disney's culmination in let's be darker. Let's be more mm -hmm. serious. Let's do something different. And it it's the aftermath of that is let's not do this. Yeah. And we'll and talk about animators. what their solution was in a second, but. Well, the animators want to do, uh, like the direction was let's make something that's like snow white, right? That type of animation. And you can tell like yeah. Oliver had it, like my son, Oliver, he was walking through the room and I said, Hey, you want to sit down and start it from the beginning. And, and I played the film and he goes, Oh, this is old timey. No, I'm out of here. Like <laughs> as it was. And when I thought mm -hmm. about it, I was like, why did he say that? Oh, it's because the style of the art is literally like snow white, mm -hmm. not anything more modern. Right. And, and it is old film, timey. It's well, yeah, yeah and it's, it's thirty five years old. It well, is. I it refuse is. to say that's not old timey. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> no, you guys are you guys are right though when you say that this was the uh, uh, you know this was the pinnacle of or you know this was the culmination I should say of of all of that 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 uh, effort of trying to make appeal to an older child or adults you know try to be darker a little bit edgier um that miller was trying to do that you know that that he didn't even get to see it out you know he was replaced by by um uh katzenberg and um oh, yeah. who's the other guy eisner um, eisner yeah. yeah and you know and the the famous story goes is they're like okay well what do you got 
what do you got in production right now? And so they, so Katzenberg sat down in the screening room and watched, watched what they, you know, Black Cauldron in its almost completed form. And he was so enraged and went, what in the, you know, bleep is this? Uh, that you know, Katzenberg stormed into the editing bay and wanted to re, you know, wanted to re-edit the whole thing himself. Yeah, but it's not like there's eight million alternate takes. They built the film from scratch. Yeah. You can't re-edit yeah. an animated movie. Well, the way I mean, they did. They did end up cutting like seven minutes though. From you know that that Katzenberg was like, we can't show kids this yeah <laughs> and those bits still show up kind of in the film if you're watching it there's kind of a, just a blip of you know oh here comes the army the cauldron born and they're attacking like these mm-hmm. guys and then like it's good uh, awkward cut to nope nothing happened we're just yeah, moving yeah. on yeah. we're moving on <laughs> so be nice that. to get an unedited version of black cauldron but disney even to this day they still are they're ashamed yep. of it which is too yeah. bad because it's it's beautifully animated film, but I, I would have to say, if you're looking for a film that is like, hey, I heard about the Chronicles of Prydain, right? I, Lloyd Alexander's series from the '60s, um, and I want to see this film, right? Because it's based on the first two books. This film is not those books. Let me just say that mm. Lloyd Alexander would tell you the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go read the books because, but watch this film. It is an enjoyable story by itself it is not those books so even in its think, compromised version yeah, it's fairly even effective. in its compromised version yep. yeah yeah well what katzenberg and eisner did they stopped this when with something that was going to say disney on it it was going to feel like disney old school disney mm-hmm. uh how they had their cake and ate it too was they launched several sub studios right around the same time touchstone pictures obviously mm-hmm then Hollywood pictures, then caravan pictures. And these films throughout the late eighties and nineties and even early two thousands, you know, you could, if you were on, if you were a Hollywood picture, you could literally have monsters eating people's heads and you could have violence and boobs and the works didn't matter. Touchstone pictures, you know, came out of the gate with a bunch of hits. Ruthless people was one of them. I can't remember all of them, but Uh, the late eighties they had, I mean, wasn't Splash one of the first? Was yep. it that? Type? Yes. Yeah, one of so there's some crossover here, actually, with, with these and those, but that's how it always is when an era comes to an end. But uh, it that worked. Now we can have it. You can you want to make adult movies like the you want to be a studio like the other studios. You're you're a touchstone picture. We'll just get the yeah. best people to come in and make them, and we'll treat them like they're treated everywhere. Katzenberg and or uh, and and Eisner. Eisner were, you know, Eisner ran Paramount for a while. Yeah. They, they were experienced in the rest of the culture and they were able to lure in outside talent so that Disney wasn't just a boutique studio anymore. And that that fixed the problem to the, a sense that is Splash, even a, vaguely a Disney movie, is Dead Poet Society. You know, there's a, it isn't yeah. really. It's it, This is a whole different deal. Um, But that... That was their solution, and it worked because then when the Disney animated films started up again, they were suddenly a little bit with Little Mermaid, but massively with Beauty and the Beast, which was nominated for yeah. Best Picture. And then it, that became a cottage industry that it still more or less is today. So and they were able benefit. to have it. Yeah, and, and there's benefits that came out of this film like that for the industry of animation. 
This is the first time in the first. You're still film. talking about Black Cauldron because that's no, no, I'm not. Well, yeah, we are. Like we are talking about Black Cauldron. You're it, still talking about Black. Cauldron. I'm still talking. I've about moved it. on from that. I'm, um, I'm in the '90s now. <laughs> Come along this with is the, the rest first of us. Time, We're uh, running out we'll of time. Get there. We got to go back to history here, right? This is the first time. CGI okay, was more Black Cauldron from Brian. Film. The Black Cauldron, oh, the deleted no, no, no. scenes. Just it's the first time CGI was used in a film, like animated film, for Disney. Oh. And that set the tone for all those films in the 90s. Yeah. It's an, I don't disagree with you. It's an innovative film. It's really great. It's vastly misunderstood. It's a shame that the studio, even this many years later, with nobody around who worked on it or who greenlit it or who even greenlit the stuff after it, that they still sort of treat it like a bastard stepchild. It, 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 should, yeah. be, it, it should be put in the historical context that it's in. I, I completely agree with you on that. Yeah. Yep. It's a cool movie. Black but, Cauldron is available on Disney Plus. Uh, to that's to watch, something. So. Yep. So that is something. It's that's something. Not, that's not, not nothing. They're not recognition away. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like I said, they 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 abandoned this. This era really was this era was this awkward era where they really tried to invest big in films, and it just repeatedly didn't work out for them. Even though there's a at least a couple of classics on this list. And today mm -hmm. it's even funnier because now it's the opposite. I, they're out there, but try and find a Touchstone movie now. You can't. Those right. other studios are gone. They bought, yeah. you know, Marvel and they bought Pixar and they bought uh, Lucasfilm and now that's those are the sub studios and those really are the whole ball game for them. So it's funny how the wheel turns around, if you will. Indeed, uh, indeed. Um, all right. So that, you know, so there, there are several other uh, films that, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, a couple of them um, from the, that area of the era of the seventies and into the eighties where Disney was figuring things out. They were working on some stuff. They had, they had some inner turmoil. They were, it was their teen angsty, you know, it was their angsty years. It was their, it was their emo period. <laughs> And um, so coming uh, of age Disney. Yeah, Truly. coming of age before then they before they got their corporate uh, sellout job and decided to just uh, we're going to buy the world. Yeah. Um, so uh, but there are some great films that you can check out. And um, I hope you and of course, I think we managed can, to advocate to some degree for all of them. Didn't yeah, we? all of these yeah. films. Yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing here that we're saying, you know, what? avoid this film. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying that. Disney went through this period where, you know, it's not like it, well, it's not like today where, like Ryan said, they have Star Wars and Marvel and Pixar and, you know, they have these massive uh, uh, franchises and studios, you know, they, these, it's a, it's a, it's a whole different beast now. I mean, it, it is, it's a beast. There was a time when Disney was trying to figure, was trying to figure things out and they had a guy in charge who, should he have been in charge? I don't know, but he wanted to try something different. He th said Disney should be more than what it is. And, there and he was right. I think he was yes. even proven well, right. Yeah. Ultimately, I think he was right now, you know, just his way of going so, about it was still insular and mm -hmm. a little bit at odds with itself. I think once had, they brought in these ex outside executives in to save the company and they essentially did, they did it by, there still were some yeah. uniquely Disney things, but they mostly did it by ignoring anything Disney had anything to do with by slapping a different logo on the beginning of the movie. And that's how they saved it, essentially. And those moderate hits and those 
cheaper yeah. exploitation movies and stuff made them enough money that they could make these big animated movies yeah. and the animated movies had to be relatively strictly disneyfied stories yep. and that yep. that worked for them and if you were going to do live action under the disney name it needed to be herbie the love bug or something like that right yeah um uh all right well uh we got a little time yeah we got a little time here yet um just very briefly let's quick uh when i woke up this morning um uh, an old friend was was kind of clattering away so i want to get your uh your thoughts on some tickertainment trend tracker bye 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 stomp on it first, first time I, i'm like i'm watching it i'm watching because i'm i'm like i know it i know it's, it's not easier done. to not do when you're watching yep. it all can attest yeah. to that um all right so the first one here um as a trend uh you know we've known about the the marvel cinematic universe the the dc extended universe uh and and you know you Star Wars has had it now, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing a, a larger trend there, you know, with these cinematic universes, there's, there's a Lord of the Rings cinematic universe. There's, you know, uh, all these things. How are we feeling about the, the, the sort of long-term Hollywood trend of cinematic universes? I'm okay with it because when they deserve to fail, they, they do. <laughs> okay. So we can go ahead and do a, Bye, bye, bye. Well, I just saying it's it's a little late yeah. to give a shit about this. If you're against this, then you might as well just find a rock to crawl under and just stay there for the next thirty years because this is it. This is big corporate movie See? making, and I mean this this is sure. what the aim is to launch franchises that go on and on indefinitely, and all the good and ill that come with that. But I, it's I'm cynical about that. But at the same time, I, I you can't just sit here and say well, it's all garbage or whatever, because it isn't. It, it's turned out some good films. The Lord of the Rings, you know, the Middle Earth, we'll call it, instead of Lord of the Rings. The yeah, Middle the Middle Earth, Earth cinematic universe, yeah. That, I, a lot of that seems impossible to adapt into cinema, to be honest. I, yeah. I can't, there's not much in the Silmarillion that you can just make into a movie easily. Um, as an example, they they there were these godlike creatures who essentially sang the world into being yeah. and they only abandoned the world, not so much because it disappointed them, but that they, they lost interest in the song. Tr trying to show that cinematically is impossible really. Mm -hmm. So how they do it, it's all about how you do it, but you look at something stupid, like uh, it's, I Frankenstein and and Tom Cruise's Mummy remake and those, yeah, that was supposed to be something called the Monster Verse or the, something like yeah, that. Yeah, the Universal Monster Verse or something. Yeah, those are terrible. And so, and by rights, there if that that cinematic universe is nowhere. That's mm -hmm. it was exactly where it should be. 
Uh, something but that's slightly that better be. is the Godzilla Kong movies. Only slightly, but it is better. Um, those are only doing so well because they're only so good. And it's kind of, to me, that... To me, so the... Ed- a buy or sell, it's more of a... A market. A I just market. accept it for what it is. And if yeah. you do it well, it can be done well. I mean, I, I lament giant corporate media films i i just i do but i mm-hmm. i that's what we have so i'm not going to stop watching movies because of that right. i hope that they're good and i still i maintain that whole brian do you feel differently about that or no i'm a i'm a cautious buy on this one because they're like if it's an established ip it comes with a lot of material that you can work with especially if it's a you know there's a single writer maybe there's a couple of writers you really love but look at who's directing it look at who's screenwriting it pay attention to what someone else's vision of that ip is going to yeah. be mm-hmm. because yeah. as we've seen in the last two years three years you can take a beloved ip and crap all over it really fast sure so, well you can also take a what would be great in, in comic book pages try and make a movie out of it that doesn't have any cinematic value and and you end yeah. up with something that's stupid and really really difficult to buy into you know there's there's what's in a comic there's what's in like a motion comic and an animated version Mm -hmm. and then there's a live action movie and that it you want to make an adaption to something but they are adaptations you you being strict to the source material has done many movies any good you you want those filmmakers to be involved creatively and you want there to be some, I know it's a term that's not popular, but you want there to be some compromise there. That's how stuff works out. You right. shouldn't, we've gotten into this before and this isn't the question, but you, you should be careful about poo-pooing every idea you hear coming out in rumors out of some project because you're an audience and you don't always necessarily know what you want. You know what I mean? So you shouldn't yeah. be so resistant to, oh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, Mr. Fantastic or whatever wouldn't do that or and I hate this now and I'm going to yeah. sign a petition. Uh, it's like <laughs> um do you do you guys are there any cinematic universes that you think uh that that you wouldn't mind seeing how about like a like we there could be like a going off of last week's we could do have a Jane Austen cinematic universe. <laughs> there yeah, should what, be what, a Jane Austen cinematic universe if yeah. they can do. There was a really cool British TV show called Dickensian which was the Dickens all the characters sort of in London being mixed in this ensemble drama. It was a oh, hard to pull off, but it was a neat idea and it was a pretty well done show. You could do that with Jane Austen, although it'd be tough because they're, yeah. those characters are really a lot alike. And if you put them all together being able to differentiate them, it might be tricky. Yep. But uh, I'll tell you a great one that if I could be given unlimited amount of money to do whatever I wanted, I would do F. Paul Wilson's. It's a combination of things, and this is what makes it even more brilliant. A combination of his adversary cycle and his Repairman Jack novels. Repairman Jack is a private detective in New York who solves paranormal mysteries. That's about as exciting as it sounds. It's really, really great stuff. Um, And Repairman Jack is a minor character in his end of the world five book adversary cycle, which starts with a movie that I love called The Keep. They'd have to redo that, oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But because it's nothing like his novel. But that stuff is fantastic and would make an just a spectacularly good HBO series. 
unfortunately, if you can't turn Stephen King's, you know, gunslinger novels into an HBO series, then I don't know how you, I don't know how yeah. you could possibly yeah. get someone interested in doing the adversary cycle, but that's my, that's mine. I really would like yeah. to see that done. Yeah. I suppose, so also sort of, you know, we were talking about cinematic universes. There's, there's sort of a Stephen King, uh, you know, Stephen King sort of, you know, because he populates everything in, you know, in the, around the same area in Maine, yeah. uh, you know, in Castle Rock, there is, you know, I mean, they, I, there's some network had a Castle Rock show. Still has it. Hulu, is I it, believe. Is it? Who, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like that, that just popped into my head. That, um, that already Brian, exists. Brian, it I mean, doesn't have every character in it because it's like a lot of things. Rights yeah. are spread all over already, yep. but yeah. it has the ones it can conglomerate in a rather interesting story. It's fairly intimate. It doesn't feel like a broad expanded universe, but yeah, because how could it in this tiny little coastal town, but it's cool. It's right along that idea and it's not a bad show at all. Sure. Uh, any, any universes you want to see Brian off the top of your mm -hmm. head? Yeah, right off the top of my head, um, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman's uh, Dragonlance, their world of Corin would be, for me, as a fantasy setting, it's definitely a, it's not Tolkien, right? Which makes mm -hmm. it, um, I love Tolkien, by the way. Um, but it's, it's not the standard bearer, yeah, it's high fantasy. The, exactly. And that's, and that's the thing. Here's a great. And it's not the Game world. of Thrones sort of chambered yep. drama with, with dragons either. It's, it's a, it's a broad out, outdoors kind of yes. fantasy adventure. Yeah. Yep. And it gives you all sorts of, you know, very human characters that are, that have interpersonal problems with not only each other, like here's the party of heroes and there's strife among the party. Right. But there's sure. also, you know, people who are struggling with larger problems growing up or growing into whomever they are and then the world itself has got issues that sometimes interact with the characters and sometimes uh, there's a lot there i think something with weiss and hickman and then all the other um uh, additional it, authors there's like a hundred and something novels under it, it would cost novels. a trillion dollars yeah but yeah, you could start the, with like chronicles and, and move forward work that. your way up yeah yeah Yep. And there might be a way to combine some plot lines and yeah. you know, some things. So, um, all right. Yeah, well, to me, that's, he's like, he said, there's enough there that you just, if you start at the beginning carefully, you can, you, you'll never yep. run out of that stuff. It's just more the war of the Lance. Yeah. yeah. How, how you conjure up that stuff in a photo real way would be a trick and it couldn't be a animated thing. I don't think. Sure. Nope. Um, all right. Well, I think for time reasons, we are, are I'm just going to leave it there and we're going to, uh, no, 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 ticker chain and trend tracker. We're done. No, stop it. Okay. We're going to get you next time. Um, okay. So, uh, all right. So, but we're going to leave it with that. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks. Man. Uh, yeah, th it was great to have you here. Great to see you again, my friend. It's great and, to be uh, here. Thanks for, thanks for having me, both of you. It's always yeah. a pleasure. All right. Uh, next week. Um, oh, next week. Next week is our uh, movie club, isn't it, Ryan? Yeah, movie club meets next week. Yeah, movie club meets next week. And so we'll we have Shauna with us, and we're going to yep. talk about the uh, Wall Street movies of the late eighties. Yeah, movie, and not not like the movie Wall Street, even though we will talk about move, the movie, like the movies about Wall Street and and the stock market. Or, you know, there's three of us. There's three movies. If you've been paying attention, you know how the club works. Yep. So movie club next week on the movie show with Joel and Ryan, uh, and and I think for that we will see. You. Thanks again, Brian, and yeah, we will you. see you all next time. 
Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>